God, I ask now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. Today is a, is a bit of an unusual day for starters. If, if you've been here before, there's usually someone about a foot, foot and a half taller than me officiating. Uh, Father Daniel, you might recall, is on a, a very well-deserved vacation. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm here celebrating in his absence. Um, the other thing that's a little odd today is I have it on good authority that tonight is a night of festivities for, for a lot of people. Um, and that's a good thing, right? Community is good. Celebrations are good. Uh, even while recognizing our shortcomings, we can celebrate the good things that are true in our society. Our God is the God is the author of joy and genuine mirth. So that that's all a good thing. But and here's the other strange thing about today is that the lessons that, we, that the church has given us for this Sunday don't really match that theme. Uh, the lessons today, Ezekiel is being told that he's being hardened to go and be a prophet to a rebellious people. Uh, the, the gospel lesson has Jesus in awe of the lack of faith of this community, which is not exactly something you want to put as your like town motto. Um, and the Corinthian passage, our New Testament lesson, finds us at the culminating thesis of 2 Corinthians, a, a letter all about the role of suffering in the Christian life. And, you know, I think this is kind of fitting. I think the church is often called to counterbalance with the world, right? And I think that's there's a message there for the world, but also for ourselves that just reminds us that we're not there yet. So this counterbalancing isn't just to be obstinate. It serves a purpose. So in the midst of a long and weary pandemic, right, we celebrated Easter and then Christmas and Easter again. We have these great feasts of the church, even though maybe at the time we didn't feel like it in our day-to-day -day lives. And here on the morning of, of what for many is an evening of celebration, uh, we're, we're called by the church to spend a few moments reflecting in quietness on the role of suffering in the Christian life. So if you will, look with me at our New Testament lesson, 2 Corinthians 12. It's in your bulletin. And specifically today, I just want to zero in to focus on this exchange between the Apostle Paul and our Lord Jesus in the last four verses. So verses 7 to 10. Like I said, one of the themes in 2 Corinthians that goes throughout the whole letter is this theme of suffering in the Christian life. The, the background there, we won't do a lot of background work today, but the, the, basically the brief is that Paul has run into conflict with people in the Corinthian church while he's away. He's gone away and they've said, Paul is too weak to be a real apostle. Look at how hard his life is. Do you think God would let one of his apostles, his real chosen emissaries, suffer this much? And of course, Paul writes 2 Corinthians partly in response to that to say, if you've bought that argument, you've really misunderstood something about the Christian life that there is a way in which suffering is normative of the Christian experience, or should be. And if you think that this counts as evidence that God isn't at work, then there's, there's a problem here. And that theme reaches its climax in this verse. As we get going, I'd like to just point out that Paul is a great example for us in this. Right? Paul notoriously suffered a great deal for the sake of the cross. In fact, that was part of his initial calling. When our Lord announced the special purpose that he had set Paul aside for, he said, He, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. How's that for a vision statement? Paul was called by Christ to suffer, to, as he says in Galatians 6.17, bear on his body the scars of Christ, the branding of Christ, the marks of Christ. And he did. He certainly did. Through imprisonment and stoning, through blind escapes in the middle of the night, through relational betrayal, there's one point where he is writing in one of his letters, he says, everyone here has abandoned me. And he had to face trial by himself without the community that he had risked his life to, to build. In another place earlier in this letter, he writes the effect that this took on his very being. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is a very vulnerable thing to write in this letter, particularly when the accusation has been, you suffer too much. And he says, you don't know the half of it. I despaired of life itself. What would that be like to be in that place? I, th I think for some of us that may not require a whole lot of imagination to remember a place in your life where you were so overwhelmed, so burdened that you felt completely absent of hope. Paul, like I says, is being incredibly and intentionally open here. He desperately wants us to understand something about suffering in the Christian life, and to accomplish that, he's bearing his soul, showing us a place of pain. And what Paul is trying so hard to communicate is that that place of pain, the gospel is there. Christ is present there. The gospel is for those moments. For the hurting and the sorrow, the moments of powerlessness and pain, the moments where we cry out, God, please take this from me. Our Lord is present in that place. If you're in that place or you've been in that place, listen here to the words of St. Paul. Follow his example and follow what he does. The first thing he does is he cries out to the Lord. Suffering hurts, right? The scriptural response to suffering is not a stiff upper lip and a grunt. It's not a sort of grin and bear it situation where you respond with some sort of stoicism that says, this won't affect me. I'm not bothered by these inconveniences. That, that's not on the table at all. That, the scriptural response is to go to the Father, to pray and to plead. And that's what Paul does. Three times I asked that this would be taken away from me. That's what our Lord does in Gethsemane. There are more, you know, there are more psalms complaining to God than any other type of psalm, right? God expects us to go to him. That's not a lack of faith to cry out to God. He gives us the language to say, God, this hurts. Please take it away. Take your pain to God. To acknowledge God in the midst of suffering is itself an act of faith. But, and this is important, giving it to God doesn't mean that it goes away. I think we all know that to be true in our experience, right? That we give things to God, and just like Paul, sometimes it doesn't go away. The gospel of Christ doesn't mean that we don't suffer. What the gospel of Christ means is, is that our suffering is comprehended, that it's redeemed. The gospel redeems suffering by uniting us to the larger story of Christ's work in the world. So sometimes God hears our prayer for release and says no, and that's what we have with Paul. Christ looks into Paul's profound pain, and his answer to it is, my grace is sufficient. That's hard. My grace is sufficient. That's not, that's not what I want to hear when I'm praying out to God. 
The Lord Jesus says to me, my grace, my good intention, in other words, my loving kindness is what you really need, Bill. It's enough. I would invite you to throw yourself against this passage, to throw yourself against the risen Lord whose hands and side bear the marks of the world's pain and hear him clearly, I love you. It's not an, it's not an answer. It's a reorientation. Paul asks God to heal him, to take away the pain, and God reorients him toward the one thing that matters, the one thing he really needs. And then Christ gives Paul another word. My power is made perfect in weakness. What does this mean? I think this means a couple of things. I think it's first a reminder that the power of God was, in fact, perfected that is, it reached its ultimate expression at the cross. The Lord's death, his suffering and resurrection are the ultimate expression of God's power on earth. And Christ warns us that the servant is not greater than the master. If that's the template, then the way of the cross, the way of weakness, is, is a central aspect to the Christian life. We should expect it. We should condition ourselves to embrace it. That doesn't mean that we seek out suffering for its own sake. It means we live a life that expects and conditions our souls to be ready for it, to be uncomfortable, and to view that as part of the calling. So what does this mean? Maybe an example from something sort of analogous, right? I, um, Paul actually at one point talks about physical training has some benefits, but spiritual training is more worthwhile, right? And this is, similarly, I had a physical trainer once, not now, it didn't last, but I had a physical trainer once who said, if you want to really get control over your body, start every day with a cold shower. What she meant by this was that cold water is jarring and uncomfortable in the morning. And she was saying, Bill, you need to get used to being uncomfortable, to having that sort of jarring experience. If you can start the day that way, your body will, will be ready for whatever else you throw at it. Um, there's something here about the spiritual life that works that way too. Live your spiritual life in a way that's used to uncomfortable experiences, that's kept in shape for the pursuit of Christ. Pursue a pattern of prayer and fasting. I would recommend conform yourself to the seasons of the church, these seasons of joy and celebration, absolutely, but also the seasons of lament, of repentance. I think in these ways we pattern ourselves to be used to the discomfort that comes with, with Christ's calling. And then when suffering comes, because suffering will come at some point in your life, you'll find yourself more ready for it. You'll find yourself knowing what to do. I had a professor in college whose daughter uh, was a few years older than me, had um, received a cancer diagnosis while uh, she was in school. And I remember several years after she had passed away, like I said, she was a few years older than me, and so then she had passed away um, a few years prior to my being there, he gave a chapel talk. He said, one of the things that got me through this period of suffering was the liturgy. Because the liturgy would pray things for me that I couldn't pray myself. When, we were, when I gathered with the church, they would affirm the things that my soul needed to hear, but I could not say. I think that's a great benefit of the liturgy. And I would say, take advantage of that. Embrace the seasons, the patterns that the church has handed down for centuries to us as a way to condition your soul to be ready for the suffering that comes in the Christian life. 
The other part of what Jesus is saying about my power is made perfect in weakness, I think is a promise, something we can hold on to. Christ was vindicated at the cross. The glory of Christ in the resurrection was purchased at the cross. Here's the promise for us. Christ will use our suffering. He will redeem it. This pain, this chronic struggle, the relationship you have that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, Christ redeems that. Now, according to what? According to his purposes, according to his kingdom. I'm not talking about a, a cheap distraction, some sort of materialistic benefit, like car, you know, a sort of karma. Life is hard right now, so you're going to be rich later. That's not what Paul is talking about. Christ instead is calling us to find ourselves and our suffering in a higher narrative, a larger purpose. The redemption of suffering, here it is, is in a deeper intimacy with Christ a deeper intimacy with the Christ who suffered for the redemption of the world. My brothers and sisters, do you understand that the culmination of the Christian life is union with God? That's the beatific vision, is to be intimately known by God and to intimately know God. And that's what happens in suffering, in the pain and the trials that we go through. Christ is there. He loves you. And in those moments, He holds you close. The psalmist says that the tears of the saints are precious to God. He doesn't lose them. Brothers and sisters, you, when you are buffeted and bruised by this world, when pursuing Christ means walking in pain and exhaustion, you are being formed. You are bearing the image of our Savior. That's why Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in weakness because in that the power of Christ is made to dwell within you. So where do we go from here? Three takeaways for this passage in, in conclusion. Three things to hold on to. The first, conform yourself to the suffering Christ. I spoke about this earlier. How do we do this? By embracing the spiritual disciplines. By adopting a life of prayer and fasting that continually orients you towards the crucified Lord. The second thing, bring your suffering to the Lord. That's what Paul does. That's what Jesus does. That's what we are commanded to do in Scripture. When you're suffering, don't, it's not a betrayal of faith to take that to the Lord, to plead to God, to say, God, this hurts. God, take this from me. That all is an act of faith. Continue to seek the Lord in the midst of your pain. And finally, and most importantly, know that in the pain and hardships of this life, you are partaking in the life of Christ that your suffering is precious to him because he himself suffered, that the Lord is near to you, that he loves you, that his grace is sufficient for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.